Few people on this planet know what it is to be truly despised. Can you blame them? I earn a living fronting an organization that kills 1,200 human beings a day. 1,200 people. We're talking two jumbo jet plane loads of men, women, and children. I mean, there's Attila, Genghis, and me. Welcome to the lobby. This is Kevin Grandia. Um, you know, it's been a it's a bit of a week. Um, been working away on on a lot of the the work we do here at the Center for Democracy and Government. Um, but uh, you know, on top of that, moving uh, back to Vancouver, um, lived in Washington D.C. the last couple of years. Uh, did a lot of amazing work here. But, you know, it, it's time to get back home. It's time to move back, pack up the kids and the family, and, and move back to Vancouver and, and keep doing what I'm doing uh, more virtually than ever, I guess. Uh, get down to Washington once in a while. But the more I'm here, the more I've learned you actually don't need to be here as much as, as I thought I needed to be um, when it comes to being in the center of politics um, and everything you need right on your little computer right there on the internet. So uh, let's just jump right into it. This is The Lobby, uh, news and analysis about the most powerful people you've never heard of, that being The Lobby. Uh, the lobbyists paid millions of dollars um, by corporations of all sorts, you know, and it's not all bad. Um, some corporations in the renewable energy sector are, you know, they have lobbyists here and in D.C. and they're arguing that they should get the same subsidies that the fossil fuel industry could get, you know, to to or the, the fossil fuel industry does get, um, you know, so so there can be a, a fair playing ground. Um, you have the Heart and Lung Association here in town, you know, fighting for more research dollars into into respiratory care, and, but then you have the lobbyists that you know, maybe aren't so much looking out for the betterment of our world um, and the corporations they work for, whether they be weapons defense contractors, whether they be tobacco companies, whether they be oil companies, um, you know, you name it, there's a lobbyist out there doing work on behalf of, of every corporation or a lot of major corporations that are more interested in, in putting money in their shareholders pockets than they are exactly about, you know, taking care of, of the human society we live in, the environment we live in, the air we breathe and and such things. And so, you know, uh, just the other day to, to get right into it here, um, it's an interesting one. There's a lobby firm, speaking of big lobby firms, there's a firm called uh, Patton and Boggs here in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, Patton Boggs is um, actually, um, one of the one of the founding partners of, of Patton Boggs is a guy named Thomas Hale Boggs Jr. And you know Thomas Boggs Sr. and Lindy Boggs both served as members of the House of Representatives for the Democrats. So, so here we have Thomas Hale Boggs, um, the son of of two pretty successful uh, Democratic politicians. Um, in fact, Lindy uh, went on and became the U.S. ambassador. Vatican under President Bill Clinton. 
why should we care about patent bogs? Well, A, you know, they're a massive lobby firm and we have to keep an eye on, on what they're doing on behalf of their, these corporations. But, <laughs> you know, even more interesting this week is patent bogs held a fundraiser, a, a, a money fundraiser, a political fundraiser for Mitt Romney, presidential candidate Mitt Romney. A um, little uncomfortable, I bet, for old Thomas Hale Boggs Jr. there. Um you know, having having such a history, family history in the in the uh, in the Democratic Party, and then to have have good old Mitt Romney uh, getting getting money through a fundraiser. Uh, some interesting interesting clients Patton Boggs uh, does have. Um, they they do represent a oil exploration giant called Hyperdynamics Corporation. Got paid three hundred and sixty thousand dollars in two thousand and eight for them. Uh, they worked for tobacco companies. They worked for the International Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association. I guess that that isn't as much a a company as it is a um, as an association, a trade association. But they got one hundred twenty thousand bucks working for International Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association. Um, you know, they've, they've worked for a cigarette manufacturer. Here we go. Here's an actual company called Vector Group. Um, Vector Group is a, makes a various various cigarette brands, tobacco, tobacco products. Um, and they were looking at, uh, at the implementation of the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act, um, something I've talked about on past on last week's uh, podcast, looking at advertising to youth, marketing to youth. Uh, warning labels on cigarettes and all of that. Um, so, in uh, 2010, Patton Boggs got 170,000 bucks working for them. Um, but you know, uh, this fundraiser—I mean, it, it seems a little strange to me, and the timing's a little strange too, considering uh, how poorly uh, Mitt Romney's doing in the polls. I don't know if it's worth it for Patton Boggs to be putting themselves out there and siding with Romney. Maybe it is. You know, maybe if they're thinking, you know, they've got to kind of play both sides of the fence here. You know, these lobby firms uh, like to curry favor, ideally, on both the Democratic and the Republican side, um, just so when one's in power and one isn't in power, they can still have have clout, dependent regardless of which party is regardless of which party is is in power at any given time. Um, so that was that was an interesting interesting little story that I picked up on Politico and, and did a little more research on. Uh, you can find it on Democracy Port, Report on defindemocracy.org. Um, like I said, I'm moving back to British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. I'm Canadian. You know, don't hold that against me. Um, been down here in Washington, D.C. now for two years. <clears throat> Learned a lot. Beautiful place. You know, I'm going to miss it a lot. My wife and kids are going to miss it. It's it's absolutely gorgeous, but it's time to get back to, to family. But, you know, I'm not going to be too far away from the lobby, it seems, <clears throat> back in, in British Columbia. So British Columbia is a province. It's similar to what you'd see, uh, what, the, what what's a state. Um, so the state of, of Maryland would be equivalent probably in about size or, or population to, to British Columbia. Um you know, looking through the lobbyist registry there in British Columbia, we have a lot of natural resources. You know, you've seen during the Winter Olympics, the mountains and these beautiful lakes and all that. But along with all that natural beauty comes a lot of natural resources. And one of them we have in abundance in that province is natural gas. 
And so, you know, I took a look through the, the lobbyist registry data and, and looked to see, you know, who was lobbying on behalf of the natural gas industry, the hydro fracturing industry, uh, also known as fracking, which is a pretty dirty business. It's a, it's a way of extracting natural gas. They actually take a, um, they take a fluid and pump it down until it creates pressure on these coal seams and then the and then the uh, the coal seam kind of kind of pops, and it lets loose this stream of natural gas that the companies can then extract and and sell. It's in fact why you're seeing such a boom in natural gas is because hydrofracking has made places and 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 wells or, or deposits of natural gas that were once really hard to extract or really expensive to uh, extract really easy to do it. Um, and we have all this fracking going on up, up in British Columbia and, and a lot of natural gas up there. So uh, I looked at the registry. And by the way, the, the government that's in power right now, the, the BC Liberal government, I actually work for them, disclosure. I worked for them for, for three years as a political advisor slash political hack type um, back, back, I guess, about seven or eight years ago. Ooh, even, even maybe more, nine years now. Oh, time goes pretty fast. Um, yeah, nine or ten years ago. Wow. So I worked for this government um, back in the day. Really busy, con considered a very business-friendly government. Um, and in fact, you know, so friendly to the natural gas industry. And this is what kind of tweaked me in the first place to looking into this further was um, that the, the BC government had just announced that they were going to forego royalties, uh, natural gas royalties, in order to spur more investment in natural gas extraction. And so we're going to see more hydro fracking and, 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 and all of the bad things that come along with that extraction process. Um, you know, you see a lot of contaminated land, contaminated, uh, potentially contaminated aquifers, you know, drinking water aquifers, all sorts of nasty stuff. And, and so looking at the lobbyists, it's no wonder that they are able to get, get their, get their uh, royalties waived. Um, when I looked into it, there was 57 lobbyists representing the natural gas industry to elected officials and government agencies in the province and to the government of British Columbia. Now to put that in context, it doesn't sound like many, you know, in Washington, DC, I think there's something like 10,000 or something registered at any given time. Um, but, you know, 57 lobbyists, it's pretty crazy when you consider that there's uh, in the provincial government, there's only 85 elected representatives. So members of the legislative assembly, they're called MLAs. Um, they would be the equivalent of a, a state Congress person, you know, that kind of thing. And so there's, so there's 85 elected officials and 57 lobbyists just on the issue of natural gas, um, trying to convince these lawmakers to, offer favorable regulatory systems and obviously somebody was lobbying on natural gas royalties because it's paid off in a in 120 million that won't go to taxpayers but instead will go um, and stay in the pockets of natural gas industry so that was a that was a pretty uh, a pretty a pretty crazy little finding um, I guess I'm gonna have I thought I'd be doing most of my work um, on lobbying um, on the Center for Democracy and Government, kind of looking back at Washington, D.C., and I definitely will spend the majority of my time doing that, but 
it seems like um, not everywhere is or anywhere is free of of these mass lobbies that tend to drown out the concerns of the average citizen with a lot of paid professionals. Um, you know, so I'll be keeping an eye on that. And um, you know, as far as lobbyist reform and 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 keeping lobbyists at bay or trying to create this balance between the voice of corporations to government and the voice of of the individual of the of the electorate of the voter um the US federal judge this week uh US federal judge in in the district of of US district court judge uh ruled uh in favor of uh President Obama's measure to ban lobbyists from sitting on the boards of government agencies and so in 2009 President Obama under this lobbying reform effort that he had put forward proposed that you know, lobbyists, registered lobbyists, um, couldn't actually sit on the boards of government agencies. And there's thousands of these boards. There are advisory boards, a treasury advisory board, and um, commerce advisory boards, tr- international trade advisory boards, everything, agricultural advisory boards, health advisory boards, cancer advisory boards, all sorts of things. And so what Obama basically said is, look, you can't, you can't sit on these advisory boards, but also have a paid vested interest um, in the outcome of, of, of the decisions or the advice that these boards are going to be giving. If you're being paid by health insurance companies and you're sitting on a, on a, on a cancer and health advisory board to the government, um, that's kind of tainted. It seems to me pretty common sense, but um, you know, six lobbyists actually challenged this in 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 court, um, saying that this that that there was this constitutional right of the lobbyists to petition government, and they were being punished because they were just doing their job as lobbyists. But then this this right that citizens have to petition government under the constitution and um, to 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 advise government in this way and sit on these boards that it was in fact violating this constitutional right. I see their point, but at the same time, they're not there as individuals. They're being paid by a corporation, um, you know, to be there to, they're not, they're not petitioning government uh, in and of themselves. They're petitioning government on behalf of a corporation and being compensated for that. And so it doesn't seem fair or right to have them sit on these advisory panels. And and U.S. District Court's Judge uh, Amy Berman Jackson actually agreed with that. And um, to quote her decision, although the lobbyists may aspire to attain this privileged access in order to advance their clients' interests and their own careers, the government is not required to underwrite their activity by giving them an advantage. So she, uh, she upheld uh, President Obama's uh, uh, decision and and the measure that he had put in that banned lobbyists from sitting on the boards of government agencies, um, and these these six lobbyists who had sued the government, um, saying it was their right, were turned down. And I think I think that it's a good step towards um, lobby reform. But we obviously have a lot a lot of ways or a lot of way to go um, when it comes to it. And I guess you know what I. One of the big ways that that I think we need to really seriously look at reforming the lobby and 
This is something I wrote um, just today on the Democracy Report on the Center for Democracy and Government. Um, it's, a, it's a story I titled The American Grassroots Association for Global Warming and Cigarettes. Um, and this is the idea of grassroots lobbying. And basically what grassroots lobbying is in a nutshell is um, an attempt by a third party group uh, to influence the outcome of a piece of legislation by convincing the electorate to support it. And so um, that could take a bunch of forms. Um, for instance, you look at environmental groups, they go out on behalf of their members and, and try and convince people, try and convince uh, their member base and then you know get their members to to talk to other people and and also through the media and all of that get people to support say a piece of legislation that's going to protect wolves in the arctic or it's going to um, it's going to minimize damage to the ocean um, and so you get people on board to do these things well corporations do the same type of thing and the basically they'll they'll pay a, a lobbyist firm or a public relations firm or an organization an association a trade association or a seemingly third party group um to get their members um to support um pro corporate their pro corporate regulations um thing you know fight against things they don't like um, and so it's pretty similar, but if you take a look back on how this has been used in the past, grassroots lobbying, um, you look at, at, at how it kind of gets twisted in a way by, the, by lobbyist groups, by public relations firms, spin doctors, this kind of thing. And they take something that I think you know, the, the rights of an individuals and the rights of individuals to come together around an issue and petition the government, urge a politician to take a stance on something, um, which is fundamental to, I think, a, a, a healthy democracy. And they twist that. And you can see that, for instance, um, during the age of big tobacco firms that were fighting, that were fighting regulations against their products they were you know arguing that you know tobacco smoke and secondhand tobacco smoke doesn't cause cancer um you know it it's fine we don't need to regulate it we don't need to, to ban smoking in in restaurants and the tobacco industry formed something called the tobacco institute and the tobacco institute was basically uh a lobbying outfit, a public relations outfit, um, paid for by the cigarette companies. And in turn, the, the, the tobacco Institute hired people at the grassroots level, local community people, uh, to organize and say, you know, we need to defend smokers rights and, and, and you need to stop, stop big government from coming in and telling you, you can't smoke in a restaurant. Um, and, and the reason they did this and the reason it's more powerful than, say, uh, uh, Philip Morris coming to to a, a lawmaker and saying, hey, you know, smoking, you know, smoke isn't that bad in, in restaurants. You know, we shouldn't we shouldn't worry too much about that. There's no need to regulate it. Of course, 
politicians can be like, well, yeah, you work for a tobacco company. You know, of course you're saying that this is going to hurt your company. Um, and so the tobacco Institute comes along and says, you know, Hey, we're a, we're a, a trade association representing uh, the tobacco industry. And, and, you know, we don't want you to worry about those regulations against, you know, against, against tobacco and the politicians are like, okay, well, I, I hear you, you know, but, but still, you know, I, I know you're kind of removed a little from the tobacco companies, kind of a third party group, but you're still paid by, by tobacco companies to say these things. And um, so they have a little more legitimacy. They have a little more of this air of a, of a grassroots organization, not much, but a little more than a directly a CEO of a, of a tobacco company coming and talking to a, to a politician. So then you take the, the Tobacco Institute and you pay people to go out in the community and, 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 and find people um, who either paid or unpaid, a lot of times paid to show up at events and hand out brochures and things like this and talk to politicians and, and write letters to the editor and, and hold up signs at events, you know, these are my rights. I demand to be allowed to smoke in restaurants, you know, even though all of us are sucking in that crap um, along with them. But once you get to that level, once you get to this level of, of individuals, it's very hard. Now a politician saying, OK, well, you know, it's John Smith, you know, John Smith, a voter, um, you know, wants me to vote uh, down this bill that's going to say secondhand tobacco smoke um is is banned in restaurants uh you know now you're talking about a level where where it's very hard for anybody for a politician to say whoa 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 i'm not going to listen to you because you're being paid on big behalf of big tobacco they've kind of the money's kind of trickled down to that level but in a way that makes it very hard for a politician to disregard that message you know this is an individual voter who's saying he's concerned about his rights, coming to a politician and demanding that, you know, he vote in a different way. So, so you can see how this whole thing gets really manipulated. Now, and like I said, you know, environmental groups do the same type of thing, but look at the nature of what an environmental group's coming and saying. An environmental group's coming and saying, hey, we're here on behalf of our donors. Um, and, and we want you to put in place legislation that is going to limit pollution um, that comes out of a coal stack because it's causing this much asthma and cancer in a population around it. Um, and they'll get locals in the, in the community who have to breathe in this shit all day, and, 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 and they have children with asthma, and they come and say, look, you know... Um, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm here on behalf of this environmental group. They asked me to come here. I'm concerned about this issue. They're helping me raise this issue. I think we can agree that that is fundamentally different than what we're seeing with a corporation um, using the electorate, electorate to its to its to its advantage uh, to not help society in any way, but to help protect their bottom line by killing these regulations and laws that hurt them. And so, you know, uh, you can check out that article on defindemocracy.org. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to be spending the next couple of weeks moving, uh, moving over from East Coast to West Coast. 
Um, next week, I'm going to get a lot into the tobacco industry, even more. There's the, the, the Tobacco Institute, this thing called the Tobacco Master Settlement Agreement, and all these really interesting things that uh, really lie at the feet of, of the lobby industry in the United States and apparently Canada, um, the techniques and that were refined and, and, and were disclosed after many years um, around this tobacco fight. It, it's a fascinating story. Um, people are encouraging me to really delve into this piece of work. And so I'm going to do that and, and report out uh, to you all. And, and, and we can see what interesting things come out of that. So that's it for the lobby this week. Um, have a good week and we'll see you again soon.